Good morning, everybody. Nice to be here. So today, before I get into the main text and part of the sermon, I would like to take some time to review the outward signs of a Christian and how the fruits of the Holy Spirit should be evident in our lives. We are told in James that our faith is made known by our works. James 2.18 But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. We are not saved by our works, but we are called unto good works. In Ephesians 2.10 For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we'll also take a look at what Jesus says about a believer who has no good fruit or no fruit at all. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we are saved by the grace of God. We are saved by faith in Christ and through Christ alone, which is a gift from God. He says, for by grace are we are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul tells us that the grace and faith to believe is given to us by God. Salvation is a free gift from God given before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before all creation, God elected those who he would give to Jesus. As Paul said, we are not saved by works or because of good works, but we are called to good works. Salvation is an act of God and we have nothing to add to it. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a cooperative effort. As we learn of God and His commandments, we begin to know God for who He is, not just to know about God. When we are called and are given, we are given the desire to learn of Him and the desire to obey God's laws and commandments. We are given the desire not just to know the commandments, but to live by them. The natural man has no desire to know God, let alone obey Him. Romans 3, 10, 11. As it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. We do not by nature want God in our lives, but the Holy Spirit that we receive when we accept Jesus as our Savior gives us the desire to know God and to understand the spiritual things of God we begin to see that the laws of God are not a list of restrictions, but healthy boundaries to live within. In these boundaries, life will bring peace with God and spiritual comfort, but not necessarily health, wealth, and temporal happiness. The freedom we have in Christ is to live free from the guilt and shame of sin. We are no longer in bondage to sin, but are free to live knowing that we are pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit not only teaches us, 
but leads us in our walk with God. Jesus said in John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He convicts us of our sins, not condemning us of them, as we are no longer under the condemnation of God, but he makes us aware of our sins so that we may repent and turn from them. The Holy Spirit never condemns us. As we are convicted of our sins, we are to confess them to God and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We are to repent and change our actions and thoughts to align ourselves with the will and character of God. We change our ways and go and sin no more, as Jesus told the woman in John 8, who was guilty of adultery. The Holy Spirit leads us to live within the boundaries of the commandments. He is not condemning us of our sins, but simply showing us that we have sin while enabling us to change and to strive for righteousness. To be righteous is to do the right thing because it is the right thing to do. But Satan loves to condemn us of sin. He is right there to point his finger at all of our faults before God. He continually tries to produce guilt and feelings of inadequacy in us, things that drive us away from God instead of to God. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, after they had disobeyed, they hid from God in guilt and shame. We also tend to try to hide our sins from God, but we're not to run and hide from God. We are to run to Him for forgiveness and encouragement like a small child does with his parents for forgiveness and comfort, for security and encouragement. Paul likens our Christian growth to training for a competition. It takes effort. 1 Corinthians 9, we are to pursue righteousness with intentional effort and desire to be pleasing to God. That in whatever we think, whatever we do, whatever we say will glorify God. Exodus 33:13 as Jesus himself said we will struggle in this life there are times that we will suffer for our belief in him but we will also suffer in the struggle toward righteousness we continually battle as we wrestle against our own will versus God's will as a christian we will fight this battle until the day we are changed and made incorruptible we are sinners even though our sins are forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ, we still have, have a sin nature. When Christ returns, we will be changed and no longer have a sin nature and will no longer have to battle against unrighteousness. When we become Christians and accept Jesus as our Savior, He says that He will dwell in us and we in Him. When we accept Jesus when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, our whole life changes. Our outlook begins to change from either an indifference to God or hating God to a desire to know Him. The commandments are no longer looked at as a list of restrictions, but now they are welcome and encouraging. They are looked at with high value and a guide for our lives. 
The evidence of a Christian is the Holy Spirit working in our life and the good works done through us by the Holy Spirit as described in Galatians 5. These works are not of ourselves, but of the Holy Spirit to glorify God, not ourselves. If they come from us, they count for nothing. But we are to do all things unto the Lord that it may glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 He shares His glory with no man. Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. As many will say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done good things? Didn't we do? Their focus is on their own works and not of the works of the Holy Spirit. What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? What evidence is there that Jesus is dwelling in you and you in him? We are known by our fruit. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So how do the fruits of the Holy Spirit differ from the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, if the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like virtues, the fruits of the Holy Spirit are the actions that those virtues produce. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we bear fruit in the form of moral action. In other words, the fruit of the Holy Spirit are works that we can perform only with the aid of the Holy Spirit. The presence of these fruits is an indication that the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian believer. So charity and love is the love of God and of neighbor without any thought of receiving something in return. It is not a warm and fuzzy feeling. However, charity is expressed in concrete action toward God and our fellow man. Joy isn't emotional in the sense that we commonly think of joy. Rather, it is a state of being undisturbed by the negative things in life. Peace is a tranquility in our soul that comes from relying on God. Rather than getting caught up in anxiety for the future, Christians, through prompting of the Holy Spirit, trust God to provide for them. Forbearance or patience and long-suffering. Patience is the ability to bear the imperfection of other people through a knowledge of our own imperfections and our need for God's mercy and forgiveness. Long-suffering is patience under provocation. While patience is properly directed at others' faults, to be long-suffering is to endure quietly the attacks of others. Kindness is a willingness to give to others above and beyond what we owe them. Goodness is the avoidance of evil and the embrace of what's right, even at the expense of one's earthly fame and fortune. Faithfulness as a fruit of the Holy Spirit means living our lives in accordance with God, with God's will at all times. Gentleness is to be mild in behavior or to be forgiving rather than angry, gracious rather than vengeful. A gentle person is meek, like Christ himself who said, I am gentle and humble of heart. Gentleness does not 
insist on having its own way, but yields to others for the sake of the kingdom of God. Self-control or temperance does not mean denying oneself of one's needs or even necessarily of what one wants, as long as what you want is something good. Rather, it is an exercise of moderation in all things. So now we've covered what our lives should look like and how the Holy Spirit is made known to us or to others through us. We come to the main part of the text. It's actually the cursing of the fig tree. Matthew 21, starting in verse 18. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is this fig tree withered away? While Matthew gives a brief summary of this event, we read in Mark 11, where Mark gives a more detailed and chronological account of the same event. So in Mark 11, starting in verse 11, And Jesus went into Jerusalem, and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see it, if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all of the people were astonished at his teachings. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembered, saying, and said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree which you cursed has withered away. So this all occurred the day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. After he had made this triumphal entry, he went to the temple and looked around at what was going on in the temple courtyard. But because it was late, he went to Bethany for the night. We see that he returned the next morning to cleanse the temple with the hypocrisy and robbery that was going on there. The Herodian temple was divided into four parts. The courtyard of the Gentiles, 
the court of the women, the court of the Jews, and the Holy of Holies. The court of the Gentiles was the largest area, covering about 35 acres surrounding the temple and the other courtyards. This was a time just prior to the Passover, when people from all over traveled to Jerusalem. They were not always able to bring their sheep and animal sacrifices with them, so they would have to purchase them in the temple courtyard. If they did not have the correct currency, they would have to exchange their currency for that being used in Jerusalem in order to purchase an animal. They were not allowed to give offerings or buy sacrificial animals with coins with the Caesar's image on it. They would also be charged a high currency exchange rate. The Sadducees and the Sanhedrin had turned the court of the Gentiles into a stockyard for commercial gain. Here we have the temple of God, this beautiful building that was was dedicated to the glory of God and it was to be a place of prayer and worship. Israel was to be an example and proclaim God to all nations. But instead of being a blessing to all nations, they were stealing from them. The courtyard was meant to be a place of prayer and worship, but it had been turned into a house of thieves who extorted others for corrupt material gain and a stockyard for animals. At that time, there were many Jews who hated the Gentiles and hoped the Messiah would come to cleanse the temple of the Gentiles to remove them completely. But when Jesus came to cleanse the temple, he cleansed it for the Gentiles. He cleansed it of the corruption and the hypocrisy. We read in verse 12 and 13 that on his way back to Jerusalem from Bethany, he saw a fig tree off in a distance. As Jesus came to this fig tree, he used it to give an object lesson to his disciples. It was an object lesson of hypocrisy in what was to become of Israel. When he came to the tree, it had no figs, so Jesus cursed the tree. The fig tree is used as a symbol or a figure of Israel throughout Scripture. The lesson Jesus was giving his disciples was to show them the deception of hypocrisy and that it was tied to the cleansing of the temple. Jesus often exposed the Pharisees of their hypocrisy, how they were righteous on the outside and dead on the inside. Mark, in verse 13 of Mark, he notes that this was not the season or time for figs. Why would Jesus curse a tree when it wasn't time for figs? A lot of people have found reason to criticize Jesus for this one act saying that Jesus acted out of anger or frustration. It is used to show that Jesus overreacted when he was not pleased. How could he curse an innocent fig tree when it wasn't even time to produce fruit? How can you believe in a God that is unpredictable in his actions? Perhaps Mark gives this comment in verse 13 to show that the time this took place, that it was not the time of harvest, and the tree had not been picked clean of all of its fruit. Most fig trees that grew in the area of Palestine at that time 
could bear fruit two or even three times a year. In the spring, they could bear fruit that would grow on last year's growth. It may produce a summer fruit. Neither were the best or plentiful. The fall produce was the most bountiful. So how do you know if a fig tree is producing fruit? The indication of a fruit is that the tree is full of leaves, not the time of year. The fig is basically an inverted flower. It's pollinated on the inside. There is no flowering blossoms to indicate fruit, just leaves. Last week we were in Wilmington touring a historical home, and there was a fig tree there. It was in full foliage, and it had figs on it. And this was in June. You have never seen a fig tree. The figs grow at the base of each leaf. The indication that a fig tree is producing fruit is not the time of year, but the growth of leaves is an outward appearance of producing fruit. Obviously, Jesus knew this tree had no fruit. He was taking the opportunity to teach a lesson before going to the temple. The story of the fig tree is about deception. This tree had all the outward appearances of being fruitful tree thus drawing Jesus and the disciples to it for food. But it was empty. It had nothing to offer. Jesus was trying to show the disciples the hypocrisy of the religious people of that time, that the Pharisees and Sadducees were righteous on the outside, but fruitless on the inside. Today, many make a false profession of Christ with no change of lifestyle, or willingness to obey the law. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Why call me Lord and do not the commandments? As Christians, we often put on a front of righteousness by the things we say, what we talk about, or the phrases we use. We act like true Christians, but we live two lives. We put on a front in public, but at home or in private, We live after our own desires. We don't live by the holy standard of Christ. We are hypocrites when we act this way. I came from a church where we believed we were called because of how much better we were than others. We were taught that God called us because He saw something in us that He knew was good. We tried to obey the commandments but we fell far short of the perfection required by the law. We wouldn't dare talk about our problems. We could never admit our sins. We had no mercy from others and no forgiveness. We simply put on a false front of being perfect. I was full of guilt and empty of hope. But that's what this story represents. The falsehood and hypocrisy we have when we claim Christ and live contrary to his word. There will be those who cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't we do things in your name? Their works were not of the Holy Spirit, but of their good deeds. And their deeds were done of their own doing. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, not to condemn, but to correct to strengthen and encourage. God changes our heart and our attitudes. He no longer condemns us for our faults, but teaches us 
and gives us the desire and motivation to change. But we can't do it of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit working in us. We're imperfect human beings. We're saved by Christ's righteousness alone, by His perfection, not ours. Our, our salvation does not come from our obedience, but our obedience comes because of our salvation and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. God's righteousness is the standard we are graded by. We're judged against perfection. It's pass or fail. Outside of Christ, we will fail. We cannot look at our own works for salvation, but the works of Jesus. God does not share His glory with anyone. The cursing of the fig tree is a lesson of hypocrisy. We are being warned that we cannot have an outward appearance of righteousness with no evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Hypocrisy can work two ways. It can either be, we can either pretend to be more righteous than we are to be accepted by other Christians, or we can act less righteous than we are to be accepted by the world. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy is a very serious issue. All hypocrites are sinners. Not all sinners are hypocrites. We need to be honest with ourselves as well as others. Not pretending to be something we aren't. What we do or what we say needs to be consistent with what we claim to believe. We are to be representatives of Jesus at all times, in all situations. So in this account that was given by Mark, we have Jesus cursing a fig tree and cleansing the temple. <clears throat> when Jesus cursed the fig tree, we read that the disciples heard it. They heard him, but they didn't ask any questions. And Jesus offered no explanation. Later, they saw him turning over tables and driving out the money changers from the temple. We also read in John that Jesus made a whip and used it to drive out the sheep and oxen from the courtyard. Again, the disciples did not ask any questions. Jesus did not, ask, did not explain his actions to them. He did teach the crowds that had witnessed the event, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of thieves. These two events are a lesson of hypocrisy, of being outwardly righteous, but empty on the inside, being barren of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it is a story of how our self-righteousness can lead us to think that we are okay with God because of the things we do, that somehow we can fake our way into the kingdom. We get, begin to justify our sins because we are good people and we believe in God. We go to church every week and read our Bibles. It is very easy to be a Pharisee and rely on our own works. It takes faith to put your trust in Jesus. But we can't end here. There's a third lesson that was being taught. The lesson of the withered fig tree. We read in verse 20 of Mark 11. As they passed by in the morning, they saw 
the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. When Peter saw this fig tree was withered away to its roots, he remembered hearing Jesus curse it the day before and brought it to his attention. Being withered away to its roots indicates complete destruction. And Jesus answered, have faith in God. On the surface, this is kind of an odd answer. But what he was saying is that the old way of doing things, the temple and all the sacrificial ceremonies were going to be done away with. The old covenant and the temple were to be destroyed. That a new covenant was coming. We are to put our faith in God. And he goes on to say, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it and it will be yours. This is not saying that we have the power to move mountains or that God will give us anything we want. Jesus is using a hyperbole. A hyperbole is used or it's the use of an exaggeration as a rhetorical device or figure of speech. It is used to emphasize, to invoke strong feelings or to create a strong impression. As a figure of speech, it is not meant to be taken literally. He is emphasizing the importance of a confident faith in God's power and willingness to respond to our prayers. In verse 25, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also in heaven will forgive you your trespasses. When we come before God in prayer, it is because of forgiveness the forgiveness and grace He has given us in Christ. And it obligates us to forgive others. These three events, the cursing of the fig tree, the cleansing of the temple, and the withered fig tree, are each a lesson in themselves. But Mark puts them together in a way to show us that our faith needs to be true and free of hypocrisy. Or our confidence in God needs to be sound and unwavering. We are to be a light unto the world as Israel was a, to be an example to all nations. But that light needs to come from God, not ourselves. We are to be known by the works that the Holy Spirit works through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us and for the grace and mercy you have given us. I ask that you give each of us the ability to hear your words that are taught and to understand the words we read in your Holy Scripture. May the Holy Spirit lead us and teach us in all truth. Help us to be honest with ourselves and others and to not fall into the sin of hypocrisy. Give us the faith and confidence to put our trust in you for our salvation and everlasting life. Amen.